if you would open uh, your copy of God's Word, we'll be in Mark chapter 11 here today. Um, while you're doing that, I want you to think about a moment in your life where you have experienced some great anticipation. Something or some time that you really looked forward to. I wonder what that is for, for many of you. As I look back on my own life and, and look at the anticipation, I remember being a kid, right, looking forward to my birthday. Maybe I was going to have a birthday party or something, have all my cousins over and friends and things of that nature. Really looking forward to it. I'm obviously looking forward to the presents, too. Uh, and, and as I got older, right, looking forward to uh, going to that next step and graduation, going to college, Things of that nature. Looking forward to, uh, remember the waiting with anticipation. Looking forward to my my wedding, as we talked about uh, Matthew and Maria. They're they're in that anticipation stage. I remember that myself. Uh, Libby and I were trying to plan and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, you know what? Forget all the planning. Let's just get married this weekend. <laughs> just forget all this other noise. Let's just do this thing, right? Man, there was so so much anticipation there. Then. Um, the, the birth of, of my daughter, um, I wasn't there for the Jonah's birth, but I got to, to see a, a human being come into the world. Like, how crazy is that? Waiting with anticipation for that. What is that for you? What is that? As you think about your life, what is that for you that you were anxiously waiting with anticipation that you were so excited about that you couldn't wait to get there? Hopefully, when it did come, that you were uh, able to be present in that moment, to be able to uh, like it and experience it. Think about that in your life. I'm here to tell you today that as great as that anticipation is, as, as great as these, these life moments have happened in your life, there is something greater. Matter of fact, there's someone greater that we can wait with anticipation for. Can you imagine that as, as great as it was to see my daughter be born, and I love her to death, but there's something greater. As much as I love my wife and the communion that we had, getting married, there's something, there's someone greater. His name is Jesus. Praise the Lord. And today we're going to talk about the anticipation that took place while Jesus was in his, his final phase of his ministry and how the Jews were waiting with anticipation for their king to be crowned. But I think some of them were disappointed. As you thought about the things that you were anticipating about, I wonder if some of those things you were disappointed about. Because you had the wrong thing in mind when you were thinking about what was yet to come. And that was kind of the position that the Jews were in. They, they were expecting one thing Jesus gave them something different, and they didn't realize it was better. We're going to talk about that here today in Mark chapter 11. Look with me in your copy of God's Word. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Here it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem on Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever said, untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a coat tied at the door outside of the street and they untied it. 
And some of those standing there said to them, well, what are you doing untying this colt? And they said to them uh, what Jesus has said, and they, they let him go. They brought the colt to Jesus and drew their cloaks on it, sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who had went before and those who had followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already laid, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. As we look back on our lives and and think about the things we waited in anticipation for. Those, those highs and even the lows have brought us here to this moment. So firstly, Father, we want to thank you for marking our steps and leading us and guiding us along the way. Helping us to, to look back and, and really appreciate the, the path that we've taken so that we can be the people that you've made us to be here today. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget how far you brought us and help us to look forward to where it is that you'll take us. Father, most importantly, help us to wait with anxious anticipation for the return of your son as we celebrate his life and death and, and new life. Uh, help us to see what it is, what our place is in the kingdom. Father, uh, use me right now to, to speak the words that you have me say, whether the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in the portion of Mark's gospel where he, uh, Jesus is, is working through and he's, he's uh, done all these things for the past three years. And this is traditionally known as Jesus' Jesus's triumphal entry or uh, the coronation of the true king. This is his last major uh, appearance before his crucifixion. And this is the beginning of the final phase of Jesus' three-year ministry. He's walked and talked with the disciples. He's, he's done uh, miracles. He, he's, he's taught in, in synagogues and, and everything. And people are just questioning, like, who is this guy? Where do you come from? Why do you speak that way? Who gives you authority? And he's been able to answer all those questions. And as he's trying to prep his team to, to, to know what is going to happen, what he's there for, there's still some uh, misunderstandings. Because they're expecting a king to come and, and just take over. After all the things that uh, the, the people have been through, they're expecting somebody to come and to, to be a king that is going to be there on an earthly throne to right all the wrongs that was taking place. But Jesus takes a, a little turn. Jesus flips things on his head as, as he's likely to do. And we've seen throughout his ministry, he, he doesn't do what often is expected. Even today, if we were to see Jesus, I would imagine we wouldn't recognize him. The things that he would be doing, the things that he would be saying. Because some people would have you believe that Jesus was rich. I mean, because when you come through and you're, you're going to be a king of a kingdom, you've got all these people behind you and, and people that's taking care. And they, they expect him to be rich. And because 
They say that Jesus was rich. They say, well, you should be rich too. I don't know where they read that. I missed that part. I missed that chapter. They must have taken it out of my, out of my Bible. So you, I don't know. I bring this up a lot because I think it's important. I mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but in my goal, my purpose is, is to protect the flock from wolves. And many of the wolves are, you can find them on uh, these, these uh, TV shows, you can find them on YouTube, and they preach, and I hate to use the term prosperity gospel because there's no gospel, it's just prosperity. This is important. The reason I bring it up because I want you to be able to recognize these charlatans as, as you encounter them, as you're, either you see them yourselves or people that you talk to talk to you about it. I want you to be able to recognize it. And I want you to be able to ask, well, show me the chapter verse. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Show me the chapter verse. These folks that say that you should be rich because Jesus was rich, uh, they're, they're way off base. And in fact, if you if you were to be rich, then you need to. They say you also need to sow a seed into their ministry, and if you have sow a seed, and then then and only then will you reach a financial benefit and the rewards in your own life. That sounds like a multi-level marketing scheme to me. So for you to be rich, you got to pay me so I can have a, a nice jet. And no, that's not. I don't show me chapter verse. I don't. I don't see that outlined. In the scripture, but much like today, um, you know, rich people they traveled in style back then. I mean, they had they had chariots, they had steeds, and they had all these things that they could use to go to go from place to place. So if you you had it like that, you could show certainly show that you were good. But Jesus traveled everywhere on foot, and in fact, he didn't even have anything to sit on. He didn't have a chariot. He didn't have a steed. He had to go tell his people to go and, and get this colt, to get this donkey. Luke 9 and 58 says, And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Warren Buffett has a place to lay his head. Bill Gates has a place to lay his head. A lot of these prosperity preachers, so-called, they, they don't have trouble. They, they sometimes flaunt those things. There's a thing on, on Instagram uh, called uh, Preacher Sneakers. And the whole goal of this, this Instagram site is they, they snap a picture of the, 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 the sneakers or other expensive clothing that some of these preachers wear. I mean, these thousands of thousand dollar shoes that these folks have on that you can't get anywhere. And the, the, the clothes that they wear I mean, they don't have a problem. But Jesus himself, he didn't have a place to, to lay his head. He didn't have a big house. He didn't ride in on a war horse or a chariot. And even this donkey didn't belong to him. He had to go borrow it. Right? So what, what we're hearing, we have to use some discernment. We have to use some thought process. The people would say, well, I can't believe you believe in this Christianity stuff. You're smarter than that. But you can't leave your brain at the door when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to Scripture. You've, you've got to, God has given us wisdom, and we need to use it. So we can't just go blatantly by and, and just believe in what people say if we don't see this in the text at all. Look at verse 13. And it says, um, 
And uh, no, uh, verse three, I'm sorry. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and he will send it back here immediately. So this is interesting as he sends his folks there to go get this this cult, this cult or donkey. And, and, and we see in this reading that we know that the Jesus is the divine son of God and that he essentially, uh, he eternally existed. And so we know that there's a prophecy that the, the donkey was there by divine uh, purposes. And there was there waiting. However, there wasn't a password or phrase that he used. Like, I mean, he's been in and out of the city and we don't know if we hear arranged beforehand for him to go. Uh, he said, I'm going to say, check it in a couple months. I'm going to send some people here, make sure the donkey, or, or maybe just the donkey was there. And when, he, when they, they gave the word and said, hey, the Lord needs this. I'm like, well, the Lord needs it. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. So in reading up on this, some of the scholars say that it was uh, recognized for uh, government officials to go and kind of commandeer some things that they might need. So you've probably seen this in movies where, you know, policemen will pull, pull people over like, hey, uh, give me your car. I'm going to commandeer your car so I can go check, catch this criminal. I don't know if it happens in real life, but um, this is kind of the idea that, that is laid out here. If you're a government official of some sort, you were able to go and say, hey, I'm going to use this for governmental purposes. They would be allowed to, to do that. Psalm 20 and 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here they're, they're saying, man, We've got to go and get this 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 cultist need to, to be able to, to to give Jesus something to ride in on, and and we see this take place and we see this happen. The next question that we have is um, is Jesus really the Messiah? And this is where we come up. And again, if you take the atheistic view and people want to question, well, did this guy really exist? Did this guy really? do all the things that you you believe and say that he did? Was he really Messiah? They had these questions back then as well. There were people that would say Jesus was a good man and maybe he was a prophet, but maybe he wasn't God. So my answer to that is either Jesus was Messiah, maybe he was Christ, or he was delusional heretic. He was one or the other. He can't be both. Either he was God or he was just messed up. Because people would ask, well, why didn't he just come out and say that he was God? It was very understood by the way Jesus carried himself, by the things that he said, by the way he operated. It was very apparent to the people then what he was doing, what he was saying. There's times in Scripture like, hey, you can't forgive sin. Only God can do that. Just like, guess what? It was very apparent. It was very clear in those days who Jesus was and what he was claiming to be. And so either that was true, that was fact, or he was a, a delusional, maybe schizophrenic, whatever you want to call it. There will be no basis for our Bible here today if that wasn't true. Had to be one or the other. The Messiah was to be God's deliverer and who was promised for centuries. One of the prophecies is found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah that we'll get to here in a moment. 
Um, in verse 7 it says, And they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So here in Zechariah, Jesus fulfills that particular prophecy about the Messiah. In Zechariah 9 and 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foil of a donkey. Man. Zechariah is talking, talking to the remnant of Israel that had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and reestablish the city. When Zechariah held out hope that there would be one day a king that God would send. Even prior to this, to this we see a prophecy in Genesis, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 49 and 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his foil to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice wine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. 500 years before Jesus came, God promised that a donkey and a colt would be available the week before Passover for Jesus to ride in Jerusalem. 500 years. And I can't predict what I'm going to do tomorrow. But God in his ultimate wisdom, God in his orchestration, God in his sovereignty tells us what's about to happen. He foretells this way, way, way before. That's why as we see that this scripture comes in, in, in 66 books, as you read through them, no, no human person could just put this together. It is so intricate, it's so intertwined that you miss up some stuff. And th these wouldn't connect in this way. It has to be divine scripture. This prophecy, by the way, is something that the Jewish people were very familiar with. So they, they knew about Jesus. They knew about the coming. They knew about his claims. They, they knew he had done miraculous things. And now they see him riding a donkey into Jerusalem like, that's it. It would have clicked for them like, it's happening. It's, it's taking place. Everybody come. He's, he's coming. It's about to happen. Imagine the anticipation, the excitement that they had seeing this prophecy being fulfilled. It clicked for them. It was like, oh, my, I can see it. I've dreamt about this day. And here he is on his donkey coming into Jerusalem. They understood what he was saying. They understood that he was saying that he was the Messiah. Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, riding a donkey. He does this humbly, and he does this as a symbol of bringing peace. Zechariah 9 and 10 says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from the sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. And if we remember back earlier in Mark 10, Mark 10 and 45 is for even the son of man came not to serve, but to serve and give his life for a ransom of many. This is where 
it kind of goes sideways for the people waiting in anticipation. They didn't. They came. They, they they expected a ruler to come, but what we got was a servant. Matter of fact, what we needed was a servant. He gave us exactly what we needed. Doesn't it happen that way? We we spent time on our knees. I hope we spent a lot of time on our knees. Been prayer. Not only just you know communing with God, but of course we're Lord. What are you doing for me in my life? Well, what should I take to take the next step in? I've got this this big decision to make. I don't know where to go. Where would you have me to go? What would you have me to do? And then things happen, and we just like, oh well, that ain't it. That ain't what I asked for. That ain't it. That ain't what I asked for. But all the time, God is supplying exactly what we need. It might not be what we want. Sometimes it is. But he always gives us what we need. But when we pray, it's, it's, sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a maybe, and sometimes it's not right now, and sometimes it's a no. And that's what we have to look at. That's what we're, we're going through. And you have to be aware of what's, what's happening and what's going on. And just use, take life with an open hand and say, I'm going to use this. So whatever God puts in my hand, I'm going to use it for his good, for his glory. If we look at verse 8, it says, Many split their cloaks on the road, and others spread their leafy branches that they had cut from the field. Spreading this palm branches symbolized joy and salvation. And this gives this picture of this, this future royal tribute to Christ. The crowd was excited and full of praise for the Messiah who had taught with authority, healed the sick, and he raised the dead. These, these crowds were just literally rolling out the red carpet. They were ready, anxious, excited, filled with anticipation. Then in verse 9, it says, those who went before and those who had followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna means save or please save. Save us. Save. Isn't that our cry? Isn't that our plea? Living in this, this world can be dark. It can be troublesome. Sometimes we just say, save us. Lord, get me out of this mess. This is what they're talking about. These, this, this points, the, the, the celebration here that we have, uh, that people are, are seeing, and they, they, they are starting to see some hope in the coming of Jesus. But in their minds, they were celebrating Jesus as this political Davidic Messiah. Remember King David, strong king going around and, and conquering other places. Psalm 118 and 22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. O oh Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his life shine upon us. 
bind the festival sacrifice with cords of the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for he is steadfast. Love endures forever. The stone that the builders rejected. God raised up who he wants to use and these religious leaders were rejecting him. The whole time, the whole way, yeah, he had, he had flocks of crowds coming. They heard he was doing miracles. And they wanted to get in. Like, I, I got some ailments, too. I got some things that need to get fixed, too. Some of them followed him because they believed that he was the coming Messiah. Some followed him because, hey, man, I, I got to get this stuff right. I mean, I got to get my, my ankle, my trick ankle. It's not working well. Jesus can take care of it. They were looking to him. For what he could do for them. And some just outright rejected him. They saw the power transferring. They're like, we, we've got power here. We're the ones that have the authority to, to make the rules. And here comes this Jesus guy saying all these things, and we're, we're not going to be able to do the stuff we need to do if he takes over. We need to take care of him. We saw early in the book of Acts, prior to being stoned, Stephen talks about the people that God uses but are rejected. With people like Moses, people like David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joseph. All these people that, that came with a word and message from the Lord that the folks just didn't want to have anything to do with them. They want to have no business with them. That's why I think we have trouble today standing up in our faith. Because we're afraid of what other people are going to say. We're afraid about what other people are going to do. But we need to be thinking about the future. We need to think about eternity. We need to think about what's awaiting. Your moment of uncomfortability is just that. It's a moment. It's a blip when you think about it in the span of eternity. It's worth it to tell people about Jesus. It's worth it to, to tell people about the hope that is, is, comes through the gospel. It's worth it. We look at verse 11 here in Mark. Since he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already laid, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. See, when, when Jesus got to Jerusalem and got to the temple, I wonder if he, he looked around and thought about the first time that he was there. As we think about, think back on our own lives, and you remember how you're in different places around different people. Jesus had been here before. He was there when he was 12 years old, and Luke tells us about this in, in Luke 2 and 41 and 45 through 52. I'll let you read that on your own, but he goes in. Uh, I, I remember doing this a little bit myself when I the church I grew up in with, with my grandparents and I was able to go back there as an adult, as a pastor now and be able to go preach. I'm like, man, I can't believe I used to sit in that pew and nod off the whole time. And now now I'm the one standing here and people out there nodding off. I wonder if Jesus went through and, and had a similar reaction when he went through the temple. He steps up and surveys the area to take everything in as he's preparing himself for what is about to happen the following day. I wonder if he has some nostalgia. As he looked forward to what was about to happen in his life. Malachi 3, 
It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the, the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and the fuller soap. He knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to give up his life. But that's what he came for. In that moment, I wonder if he thought about you. About what he was about to do. Even as he entered the temple and he's around his people, I wonder the thoughts that was going through his head. He could have stopped it at any time. And in fact, later when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's, he's speaking to his father. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes through in obedience. He gave up his life so that you can have life. As we talk, if we talk about obedience, and we, and we look at it in the grand scheme of things, he paid the ultimate price for us. God orchestrated this from the very beginning. He designed a world that was, as he mentioned, he said it was, it was good. And when he made man, he said, this is very good. But even through God's perfect design, there was still something in us that, that, that we just tried to find something else. Isn't that always the case? Nothing, it was never good enough where we are. We always want something more. We always want something better. Even though in the garden, Adam and Eve had everything they could hope or wish for. They had it made. They're like, but I wonder how the fruit on that tree tastes. Even though God told them not to eat of it. They wanted more. They wanted to go outside of what God had told them to do. And then, since then, I mean, since we, we broke that, we're just trying to, to fix it, trying to find holes for, for this thing that, that sin has, has uh, brought into our lives. But the only solution is Jesus Christ. The solution that God sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the solution to our problems. You think your problem is, I don't have enough education, I don't have the right friends, I don't have the right job, um, I've got these, these ailments that I'm trying to struggle with. The problem, those are symptoms. The problem is sin. But I got good news. The problem has been taken care of. The problem has been resolved. It's been resolved by Jesus Christ. We go through this life struggling, challenged with everything that's going on in our, in our world. We're trying to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're going to our friends and family, asking them for advice. But the problem to our sin is Christ. Not to say that everything is going to be perfect when you follow him. But James said you can have joy in the midst of sorrow, which doesn't make sense. But when you consider the good news... That's absolutely true. I know there's something better. 
even through this life, even through the struggle. We just finished Acts, and as we talked about Paul and his life, even in the jail cell, Paul was like, man, it's so good for me to be here because so many people are hearing about Christ. Who does that? Who says stuff like that? Only somebody who knows the, the resolution to the ultimate problem. Only somebody who follows the, the one who can do something about it. Only the, only the person who knows what awaits them. And I don't know how long Paul was in, in jail, but he knew that it was just a blip in time in the span of eternity. And he said it's worth it. My question to you, is it worth it? Are you willing to submit your life to Christ and taste and see that the Lord is good? This is why we're here. This is, this is why we come. You don't get a check, check mark for being here today. I'm sorry to tell you. But what you do get is you get to hear that there's hope. That there can be joy in the midst of sorrow if you would follow Jesus. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But, but there's a, a solution to the, the struggles and strife that you have today. And if you would just follow Jesus, if you would get to know him through his word, you get to, to talk and converse with him through prayer. That you would experience and know what your purpose is. Your God-given purpose. And be able to live that out. I want to have that conversation with you. Like I said, it's not a night and day difference. But it's a journey. Life is a journey. And when you're following Christ, it's just that, that much more palatable. And eternity is a long time. So if you were spend forever eternity with him in worship and praise, where there be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggle, no more strife, no more aches, no more pains, or you would spend forever and eternity apart from him, where there will be, as the Bible says, gnashing of teeth, and there's eternal pain and struggle, and man, I don't want that for any of you. So let's have that conversation. Let's have it today. Tomorrow is not promised. If you don't follow Christ here today, um, I'm here to have that conversation. We've got deacons in the room that can have that conversation with you. We would love to, to talk to you about that. If you have a prayer request, um, there's a card in, in front of your, um, in the seat back in, in front of you, where you can write down your prayer request or you can come forward. Um, I'll be here. We'll have a, a deacon over here for you to pray. Uh, we can pray with you on those things. We'll be praying for you throughout the weeks and the months ahead. Um, so let us let us do that for you. Let us serve you in, in that way. But uh, and, and if you're a Christ follower and it's been a long time, man, you just you know you can do better. You know you've gone astray. Um, that's okay. Today is the day. Now is the time to get back on track. Let's have that conversation too. Let us know how we can be praying for you in that way. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for everything that you've done and, and as we read this story as, as we understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us on our behalf it's, it's amazing what's, what's taking place and how you've orchestrated this from the beginning uh, of time but before there was even time Father you just you had this plan in place 
and we can't thank you enough. We're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. Help us to realize that this is not something that we should take lightly, that, that we should go and, and, and see how it is that you wired us and, and to be able to follow you, the gifts that you've given so that we can use for your kingdom. And Father, as we struggle in this life, help us to see um, how you've orchestrated everything uh, for, for your glory and our good. And how can we bless your name through all the things that, that are going on in our own lives and give you the glory for what you've done and how you brought us out each challenge every time. Let us not leave here and just forget about this stuff or do you even hold it to ourselves, but be able to go and be able to tell others about this as well. Be able to go and share and tell our own testimony to those who might need to hear it and know more about you. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.